Hello, and welcome to the Providence College Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Kay, and I'm joined by producer Chris Judge of the class of 2005. Here at the Providence College Podcast, we bring you interesting stories from the Fire family. This week, we're speaking with John McAlevey, a member of the class of 1990. The course of John's life changed two years after he graduated, when a fall down a flight of stairs left him with a spinal cord injury. These, day, these days, McAlevey is a journalist, but in May, he picked up a microphone for a new purpose, the Quadcast, a podcast he describes as a 30 to 45 minute session of OT or PT for the soul. In each episode, he talks to people with spinal cord injuries, as well as doctors, therapists, and other supporters to share stories and build community. John, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So you say in your podcast that no two spinal cord injuries are the same. Please tell us a little bit about your injury. What are some of the things that you're able to do? Well, Liz, following the fall down a flight of steps in my house, um, I find myself completely paralyzed from head to toe. And uh, I remember my father was coming down the stairs to, to, to check on me. And I just remember whispering him because I really didn't have much much uh, breath in my lungs because my injury was so high in my cord. I just remember whispering, don't touch me, don't touch me, because oftentimes when you try to move someone, you can do more damage. And so uh, from there, a whole new life began. It was August 19, uh, 1992, and the first aid squad came, and off we went to the hospital where I spent the better part of the next four months in, a, in an acute care hospital. And luckily, as time progressed, a couple of weeks in, I started to get some mobility back in my toes. It started down low. I was able to wiggle my toes and it started to work its way up um, to the point where I started to get movement in all four limbs. Um, but they explained to me that my injury was mainly to the central part of my spinal cord. Um, uh, the, the level is the cervical three, four, which is very high. Uh, one and two is, is your hangman fracture, which is what Christopher Reeve, um, Superman, that was what his was so high. So I'm lucky that my injury was not a complete injury where I would have severed my cord, where I would be probably on a ventilator and in a wheelchair. Um, so it was an incomplete injury, I mean, I didn't sever the cord, but my arms, hands, fingers, my fine motor um, has been really affected. They told me, think of yourself as an upside down paraplegic where you know they have no use of their legs or in a wheelchair. I really have very limited use of my arms. And so I like to joke around with people. I say, yeah, I can, I can get up and walk, you know, pretty much wherever I want to. I just can't really do too much when I get there. I'm sure that gets laughs everywhere you go. It does. It, it puts people at ease because, you know, they see me walking and it's, you know, it's not really a thing of beauty. And the older I get, the harder it is for me to get around. And so I sort of put people at ease with a, with a comment like that. I wanted to throw some of the questions that you use during your own podcast back at you. What was your life okay. like before your injury and what is it like now? Well, before I was an avid athlete, I played three sports in high school. Uh, I tried out for the baseball team there at PC and I got pretty far. I had a misjudged a, a fly ball in right field that I still, still wake up in, at night thinking if I may, would have made that play, who knows, maybe I would have found myself on uh, sitting on the bench for a couple of years. But uh, sports were always a thing for me. I did an internship while I was at PC that really changed my life. I worked for, uh, I did an internship with my good friend, John Rook at uh, Channel 12. Uh, he took me under his wing. I did a, an internship in the sports department. 
and I got an opportunity to do a, a lot of things. I got to go to Patriots games and PC games, and um, I never got a chance to get up to a Red Sox game, but I did URI stuff. I, I really went everywhere. He gave me a uh, license to, uh, to really get involved. I learned how to edit highlights and write scripts and uh, really get a feel for what it's like to do sports television, and that's what uh, was the bug that really um, that really got me. And following graduation, I went and uh, interviewed for um, a job in Arlington, Virginia, a company called Sports News Network. And I went to work for them, and I was writing scripts and editing highlights, and just was the job of a lifetime. And then, unfortunately, the company went bankrupt about a year in, and so uh, I was SOL. Um, and uh, ESPN was always really the, the main thrust. I really wanted to see if I could work for them. And so in June of 92, I went to San Diego to a sports careers fair. About 600 people there. Um, and one of the people that was interviewing was ESPN. Um, they had all sorts of companies there that were, um, that were interviewing from like MLB and the NFL, and Nike, Reebok, Adidas, all sorts of sports things. So I put my resume in the ESPN folder. He had 600 resumes in there. Everybody wanted to talk to him. And the next day they came back, they had two names. And one of them, luckily, was John Joseph McAlevey. So I interviewed there. I did really well. I thought it was great. It was a very tough interview. It was about an hour. And he grilled me on everything from, you know, who are the backup catchers in the National League West to who are the you know, running backs and fullbacks and different teams. So that was June of 92, and unfortunately in August is when I had my injury. So um, what was weird was pretty much the first week that I got into Kessler, they called and told me that I had gotten the job. And so it was kind of like, hey, great, but now I really can't even, you know, wiggle my toes anymore. So it was, um, it was tough. It was great to hear, but at that point, you know, my priorities had really changed. I had, you know, had to learn how to walk again and dress myself and feed myself and so, you know, editing highlights sort of took a backseat at that point. You, you described yourself as a as an upside-down paraplegic. Um, is that very unusual? Is it, is, as spinal cord injuries are unusual, no two are alike, but among the, the world of people with spinal cord injuries, is that pretty unusual? You know, I have to tell you that I'm back in therapy now because of this pandemic lockdown. It's really taken its toll. I really haven't had a chance to get out and do all that much. Tell you the truth, of all the folks that I'm in therapy with now, I think I'm the only one that's walking. Everybody else is in a wheelchair. So it is pretty uncommon for the, the central cord syndrome that I have um, to be able to get up and walk around. So I, I would think that, yeah, it's, it's sort of uncommon at this point. And so what was the course of your life after the accident? You know, as I said, with the, with the whole ESPN thing, it it changes your priorities. You know, at that point, um, before that, I was 24 years old. I was in the best shape of my life. I was in, playing in a couple of different men's leagues and running four or five miles a night. Just in, I had everything out in front of me. You know, I, I knew what I wanted to do, and I was hoping uh, that it was all going to come together. And then at that point, you know, you sort of get the rug pulled out from under you, and you have to prioritize whether you're going to you know, say, why me? And, you know, sit in the corner and cry or, because uh, I did have folks that would do that. And they were friends of mine that were in therapy with me that wouldn't go to therapy. They just, 
were so mad at the world and the situation and they, they basically gave up. And, you know, I like to say that I, uh, I like to live on the sunny side of the street. And so I just said, you know, this is not ideal. I mean, it's not what I had um, planned for, for my life, but, you know, I can either make the most of what I still have left and move on or I can, uh, I can go the other way. And I just was not going to let this thing get the better of me. And I just went to work in therapy. Um, and that's sort of where the beginnings of the whole podcast came to mind. You know, there was no such thing as podcasting back then. But I'll never forget the first day I was being wheeled into therapy. They had music on all the time, which was great. It's an upbeat atmosphere. If you ever go to, uh, to check out a, a physical therapy center. And I remember sitting there in my wheelchair. At that point, I was still in a wheelchair. And there was music, the music in the background. One of the songs that was playing was obscure, a band called Soul Asylum. And the song is called Black Gold. And one of the lyrics in the song, I always said to myself is, you know, if I ever put something together, this is going to be the song because it spoke to me. And the words were, I don't care about my wheelchair. I got so much left to do with my life. And I thought, wow, this is playing right now. And I'm listening and I'm sitting in a wheelchair. So that was sort of the driving force. It's the music that is the intro and the outro to, to my podcast. And it spoke to me then and it speaks to people that are working out nowadays as well. I know I, I tell them about it and, and they go home and download it and sort of becomes a driving force in, in what they're doing as well. I feel like that's a message that, you know, during this pandemic when so many people have been devastated in so many ways between, you know, direct impact of the illness to, you know, businesses going under, losing jobs, like it's just been, it's been so hard, but it's, you know, it is. there's still life to live, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, you can either throw in the towel or, or adapt and move on. And, you know, yeah, that's a good thing about, you know, we can adapt and we can move on. I mean, you're seeing, as you mentioned with this pandemic, how many people who are home and people are starting their own different businesses now in different ways. They told me a long time ago, my occupational therapists, you know, they sort of get short shrift. You know, everybody wants to know, hey, is John going to walk? Is so-and-so going to walk? That's all you ever want to hear. You know, the occupational therapists are the ones that help you get dressed and feed yourself. They, they have the old saying, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And that's, that's what I learned a long time ago. You, you learn how to, to do things a different way. So how did you adapt? You were the prime of your life at 24. And then what did you do next? I just, at that point, I had to roll with what I still had left. And so um, I have to say that I had amazing support. Without the support of my wonderful family, uh, my father, who was a huge PC fan, who would watch, he and I would watch every game from uh, the opening tip to the end. Uh, my my mom, who's who's wonderful. I live with mom now. My sister, who is a uh, who's a, another driving force. She refuses to let me think that there's not anything that I still can't do in this world. Uh, she's a BC Eagle, but we won't hold that against her. Um, and uh, just friends. I had amazing friends that, you know, the uh, Kessler, the rehab center, was full every weekend with, with guys that would come out from the city to to watch TV and watch games. And that was the one thing is that all the people would look around and say, who is this guy? He's a celebrity. He's got a million people here all the time. And 
it was it was people like that that, you, that were in my corner that really pushed me and and wouldn't let me fall through the cracks. And it's been uh, it's been 28 years, and a lot of those same faces call me two or three times a week. I'm sure that in the years since your injury, you've come up with some pretty creative ways to do things that a lot of us probably take for granted. Can you tell us about some of your workarounds and maybe you worked on them with some of your OT specialists? I have to tell you that something that I use to do a lot, it's going to sound really crazy, but my teeth, I pick a lot of stuff up with my teeth. As I say, I really have no use of my arms. And so uh, being able to use my teeth to grab things and pick things up. And one thing I'm excited about um, that, that hopefully will be able to help me in the long run is I am on the waiting list for a Canines for Companions uh, service dog. And it takes a long time. The girls back back 28 years ago said, hey, you should put your name on the list. It takes a long time. And so I finally got around to doing it just about two years ago now. So it's been about two years. And uh, the protocol is very hard. You have to do a written test. You do a telephone interview. And then you do your doctors have to fill out a form. And so um, it wasn't easy to jump through all the loops. Luckily, I was able to get through all of them. I went for my uh, in-person interview last summer out on Long Island. And so hopefully, you know, within the next six months or a year, um, I'll get the call to go out and, and get paired up with a dog. I'm looking forward to that. They do amazing things. They pick stuff off the floor. They open doors. They can turn on lights. It's, uh, it's really an amazing thing. So Hopefully they'll be able to help me out so that I won't have to use my teeth. They sound more capable than some of my, the children who live in my house. Yes, that's what it sounds like. Are you a dog person? You know, I had allergies as a kid. I was an asthmatic and I couldn't breathe. I would go, I would try to sleep over a friend's house that would have dogs and my parents would have to come pick me up. But luckily I'd outgrown it. Um, And uh, I was born on January 8th, which is the same as Elvis Presley. So he always said, I want to have a dog named Elvis. So the only thing is these dogs already come with a name, so I can't change it, but I'll take whatever I can get. And then do you have to kind of work as a, a partner? Do you have to get to know each other and learn each other, learn how to work with each yeah. other? Yeah. What, what you do is you go out, it's like a two-week um, session where they, uh, they pair you with a dog that would best suit your needs. Like for someone like me, um, I couldn't be paired with a dog that's when it's outside and sees a squirrel is going to want to run for the squirrel because it would pull me over and I'd go flying. So they, they sort of, you know, mix and match. Like they might think that one dog is the one that's going to work for me, but when they get there, it might wind up being a different dog. So from what I understand in videos that I've seen, it's, uh, it's really a cool process. I'm curious about some of the challenges that the pandemic has presented in your life. You know, if you use your mouth um, for lots of tasks, are you able to do that outside your home with a mask on? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been tough. I, I really and truly, with, with the level of my injury, Liz, my doctors have told me, you know, unless you really have to do something, you shouldn't go out. And so, um, unfortunately, because of being home, my body's sort of gotten deconditioned, and that's why I'm, I'm back in therapy now uh, to try and uh, help to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. So I really have not been out. I haven't. Uh, I've been going to therapy. I'm doing PT and OT three times a week. But once, you know, I go there, they take my temperature, they put the mask on, I do do my stuff, and then I just come right home. I really have, uh, I have not been out. 
Um, and so I really haven't had a chance to, to, to have to put myself in a position where I'm doing stuff like that. I go to the store and I pick some stuff up. Um, what I'll do is I'll ask somebody to help me out. Um, and you know, there's, there's a lot of good people in this world, uh, that if you just ask someone for help, uh, a lot of people will do that. That's been my big bugaboo all these years is I hate to have to ask. And oftentimes I'll struggle for, you know, a while because I don't want to, but you know, it's gotten to the point now where if I need a, need a hand, I'm going to give somebody a shout and they'll help, which is nice. That, that is great to know that you've been able to rely on the kindness of strangers, quite literally there. No doubt. I'd imagine also in the last couple of decades that, you know, technology has, you know, risen to meet the needs of everyone. You know, Amazon deliveries probably ease the number of times you have to. It is. I also use um, voice activated computers. You know, I, uh, for many years, my OTs would tell me, use your fingers, use them or lose them. That's really true. I tell you, if you don't use these muscles, they're going to go and they atrophy and it's hard to get them back. And so for many moons, I would hunt and peck with my two pointer fingers and it would get the job done. But, you know, the older I get, it gets a little bit harder. So I've sort of supplemented with the, the voice activated uh, computer. So I, I look like the time life operator with my headset on and I, uh, I word my, um, put my words in there and, that works pretty good. It's, it's not the end all be all. It's not the greatest thing in the world because you have to go back um, and, and clean up a lot of things, but it, it definitely helps. And, you know, with, with the cell phone, with the voice activated dictation has been, you know, a godsend because with, you know, with my fingers and whatnot, it's, I can't tell you how many people I butt dial in a day with just grabbing my phone and they say, what are you calling me again for? They say, it's not me. It's my fingers that don't want to work. And so, uh, I just have to turn it off every once in a while. So I'm not, you know, calling everybody. But with so much time at home, it seems like the perfect time to launch the quadcast. It did. This is something, Liz, that I have been, uh, I say it in my inaugural show. It's something I've been talking about for at least 10 years. And I, I kind of think of myself as an idea man. And I thought the whole quadcast angle was, was sort of a, snippy word at uh, podcast and my situation being a quad and everybody would always get a kick out of it and say, Hey, that's, that's really a cool idea. And then I would bump into them maybe six months or a year later and they'd say, Hey, how's your podcast going? And I would say, well, you know, well, I, I haven't really fine tuned it or I haven't bought the equipment or which basically meant I was doing nothing. I, I didn't, wasn't following through. I, as I said, I like to think I have good ideas. I just don't have the follow through and, you know, the pandemic was one of these things where I was sitting around, you know, you could only watch enough Netflix and there was no sports on TV to watch. And I, you know, I, I had some friends, as I said, I work with some, some buddies at more sports now. Uh, Matt Lachlan and Steve Titchener have been great to take me under their wing and they were doing some stuff. And I said, how much is the equipment to buy? And they said, it's really only a couple hundred dollars. It really so I just had the idea, I bought the equipment, and I called up a friend who's sort of a rock star in the spinal cord world to see if he would come on with me. Scott Chesney is his name. And I really didn't know what I was gonna talk about. I just sort of put a bunch of questions together. I had my music that I knew I was gonna roll with, and it just went, and it really got some super acclaim from, from friends and some folks I didn't know that got in touch with me. And, 
that was episode number one, and I just finished recording episode 14 uh, last week with the, uh, the driving instructor at, uh, at Kessler Institute and also um, a gentleman who's retrofitted two of my cars to, uh, to let people know what, what can and cannot go into uh, getting people back on the road who have had a catastrophic injury. Tell us about your driving experience. What are the modifications that you have? Do you drive a regular sedan? I drive a, a Jeep Cherokee, and um, most of the cars that are retrofitted are for people who are in wheelchairs. So you see, you know, when you go shopping, you see the, the parking spots where they have all those lines so that a, a ramp can go down. Somebody in a chair can, can wheel in and out of their car. Someone like me who can walk, luckily I can do the gas and brake with my feet. Um, Again, my arms being the bugaboo here, I needed to have a whole new steering system put into the car. So it's something called horizontal steering. And it's basically like a bus, when you see the bus driver and he's turning the wheel over and over and over and over. It's sort of like that. I put my hand, uh, my left arm does all the driving. It goes into what's called a spinner knob. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen something like that. It, uh, It secures my wrist. And I, I do all the driving with my ga- uh, the gas and brake, as I said, with my feet. And my left arm does all of my steering. And um, stuff like that, you know, they have to rip out the old steering column. And, um, so it sort of looks like James Bond mobile. I tell everybody who's going to ride with me, you know, watch out. I've got an ejector button here that uh, give me any, any lip, you're going to go flying out the window. But I have buttons uh, in, the, in the center console too to uh, control my windows and my air conditioning. And um, it's really a neat setup. It's, it's unbelievable that, uh, that they're able to do that because, you know, that, that was the one thing throughout all of this, you know, when you have a, an injury or a, you know, a stroke or whatever, is you really lose your independence. That's, that's the hardest part. And so when I finally was able to get the car and was able to get out there with nobody else in the car with me, turn the music up. You know, it really was a great moment for me. It was, you know, gaining my independence back again. Now you're probably able to help others. You probably can drive your mom places she needs do, to. Do yeah, believe me, I'm the desig- I've been the designated driver for many years because I don't. I'm not a big drinker. I never really was. And so, you know, when whenever my friends and I would go out, hey Johnny Max driving, he's gonna pick us up, and it was great. It was um, everybody could. Have, I would still have a great time. They would have a great time. They wouldn't have to worry about driving anywhere. And so it was a, a win-win all around. And you never had to use that ejector seat? I never have. Not not yet. You know, I'm still waiting for that button. I have it on the side. So the quadcast is not your only extracurricular activity, so to speak. Um, I'm imagining it's not happening right now, but can you tell us about your experience as a basketball coach? Yes. Oh, it's, that has been a savior for me. As I mentioned to you earlier, I have... I've always been a sports guy. I was a jock growing up and played a million different sports. And, you know, it was one of those things where if you were to ask me, what's your favorite sport? I'd have to ask you what, what time of year is it? Because whatever it was, was playing at the time. That was my favorite. And then, you know, after graduating or actually when I was still in school doing intramurals was always great. I was always involved with doing all of that. And then, after graduation, you know, with no leagues and no teams, I did some, I did some men's leagues, some softball and some basketball, and um, really turned towards running and 
and working out. So it was always something that, something physical. I was always doing something physical. And then, you know, I had this injury and I couldn't do any of that anymore. And it was like, boy, that big window, my world, it was such a big part of who I was, was finally closed up. I had a friend that was coaching um, youth basketball. And he called me up. I mean, he knew I was struggling a little bit. He said, why don't you come out and help me? I just started coaching a team. I said, how am I going to coach basketball? I can't, can't even dribble one, let alone I can't even hold the ball. You know, what am I going to do? How am I going to stand in front of somebody and, you know, try to explain to them? I can't, you know, go out there and, and you know, tell them what I want them to do. And so, you know, I went that first day and it was something that I didn't think was going to work for me. And then I went back the next day and, you know, I like to think I have a good personality. So I was talking to the kids and, you know, would joke around with them and they sort of seemed to, you know, Hey, coach Max, an all right guy. And then, you know, I was doing watching a million games and watching uh, videos and stuff and had a, had an idea of what I thought and how a team should be run. And I just would pipe in now and then, and then I piped in a little bit more. And then after that, Second year, I think it was, my friend got really busy. He got a new job and said, I'm out of here. This was like on the eve of the season. You're going to have to be the guy. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And I just sort of went with it. And it's been a labor of love for all these years. It gives me that opportunity to, to fill that window of competition. I tell the kids every year, I can't run around anymore. So you guys are going to have to do it for me. You're going to have to be my arms and my legs. It's fun, you know, it's, I, I, I love when the game starts and the clock is going and I want to have one more point than the other team is going to have. And my kids, my kids are right there with me. For all these years, I haven't had any, really haven't had any situations with anybody busting my chops or, um, you know, they, they just have really been, been terrific and I, and I can't thank them all enough. What age levels do you work with? Do you work with eighth graders? I do. And- yeah, I have the eighth grade boys. I'm in Milburn, New Jersey, uh, my my alma mater, Milburn High School. I also have been helping out with their uh, an assistant coach on the freshman team for eight years now, um, and we run clinics all throughout town during during the season. I'm hoping to I'm hoping to stick with it this year. I don't know whether there will be a season because of the whole COVID nineteen and. Um, you know, physically, as I said, I'm having a harder time getting around and I'm not sure whether I can do it this year, but, uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that if there is a season that, uh, that I'll be on the bench. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience at, at PC, you know, calling games and at WDOM? Yeah, I, uh, I started a talk show with, um, Sean Palmer was a wonderful guy. Um, he works, he's got a big job, I think in Connecticut with the, with the newspaper there. Uh, my friend Pete Thompson, who is a uh, is on the board, I believe, at PC, is a big Chicago guy. Uh, uh, the the three of us sort of put this idea together. Uh, we called it the, the show was called the Sports Page, and basically we would talk about different topics, and then when we would uh, finish talking about one topic and we'd go to a commercial, we thought it was kind of cute. We'd say, when we come back, we're going to turn the page and uh, and pick up on something else. So we were kind of like the Mike and the Mad Dog for, for New York radio listeners, uh, but at PC. Um, and it was great. We had some, we had some fun stuff with that. We, we would have some callers. One funny story is 
that um, we used to record on a Sunday and it happened to be my mother's birthday. We recorded at nighttime and I hadn't called home yet to, to wish mom a happy birthday. So my dad called, I guess, my apartment at the time. And my roommates gave him the number at, uh, at DOM. So, of course, the next thing you hear is, okay, we're going to go to John in New Jersey. And it was my dad. And he thought he was just talking to me. And he said, hey, you know, it's your mom's birthday. You haven't called her yet. I said, hey, pal, we're on the air here. What are you talking about? So, uh, oh, boy, when I got home, I gave my, my roommates a little, uh, you know, thanks, guys. You really hung me out to dry there. But that was fun. The sports page was a great idea. And it sort of built on what I was doing at Channel 12 with John Rook and, um, you know, just a little bit more into um, the sports television and radio background. Also, we did the, the women's games on uh, – we would do those from courtside, which was fun. And they had great teams at the time. So we were lucky to, uh, to call it some, some really fun um, – fun games. We got to travel with the team to the NCAA tournament down at, uh, at Old Dominion University. The bus ride wasn't the greatest, but uh, the whole memories I still have to this day. We did the men's baseball games. Um, unfortunately, they don't have baseball at PC anymore, which was tough to see it go because they had great teams back in the 80s and 90s, you know, into the 2000s. Uh, it would have been fun to call the men's basketball, unfortunately. Um, and I blame John Rook for this. He had the exclusivity rights downtown. Him and Joe Hassett had the uh, exclusivity rights. But um, it would have been really fun to do that because, you know, back when I was there, we, were, we went to the NCAA tournament three out of the four years. So can we give WDOM the credit for helping you, you know, get your, uh, your radio voice? Yes. Yeah, it's where I kind of got my start. It's uh, got my sea legs under me, and that was – Back at the time, WDOM was in the basement of Joseph Hall. I know now. I think it's in Slavin Center. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, we were in the we were in the basement of Joe's, um, which is um, where one of my favorite and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about him. One of my favorite professors from school, Father Driscoll. Now he's no longer with us. He was somebody that after my accident never gave up on me, and we would talk on the phone. I would go up and uh, we would have dinner with him uh, in the Priory, which was great. We would go out for dinner in downtown. Um, he was just somebody that was always in my court and um, he was my professor at school and I just love the guy. And, you know, that's part of the PC education is folks like that that just, they don't forget. You know, they're, they're with you while you're a student and when you graduate. And um, he was somebody that I'll never forget. And, um, part of the PC education that you have, you make relationships. I feel like I hear alumni of Providence College talk about that kind of experience all the time, you know, just some professors or classes that really changed their lives. No doubt. John, I wanted to ask, you know, you've had decades of experience living with your injury. What do you wish that people without physical disabilities understood more about people with disabilities? You know, that's a great question. It's, you know, the old saying that, you know, never take anything for granted. It's, it's that, it's something like that because, you know, in a split second, whether you're in a car accident or a slip and fall or just freak things, you know, I've heard been around people that, that have had injuries that, you know, falling out of bed and they wake up and they're a complete quad, you know, just smell the, 
smell the roses, you know, smell the coffee and just don't take anything for granted because um, it can all be taken away from you in, in a heartbeat. And um, it's something that, as I said, it could be gone in a second and it takes forever to try and, and regain what you have. Unfortunately, there's two, like if you break your arm, you can put a cast on your arm. If you break your leg, you put a cast and it's going to heal. But there's two things that if you injure will never be the same again. One is your brain and one is your spinal cord. And so, you know, sometimes when we go out and talk to students at school, we tell them that story and, you know, about wearing helmets, when you ride your bike, or when you're diving into a pool, make sure you put your hands out in front of you because, you know, if you injure something like that, it's never going to be the same again. And it's not really meant to scare them, but in a way it is because, um, as I said, it could, it could all be in a snap of a finger, it could be gone. So I, I guess, you know, take, take, don't take stuff for granted. I like to tell people, I'm like your, your grandfather, I'm like 100 years old. You know, Sonny, don't you, uh, don't you take all this stuff that's so easy because um, I want you to protect yourself. I'm always telling my niece and nephew. And uh, sometimes my sister will look at me and say, well, you just let them live their life, you know. But, uh, you know, I worry about people because the other side, it, it ain't that easy. You know, sometimes we make it look easy. But it really isn't. It's it's a struggle. Yeah, I see people riding bikes without helmets, and I just sort of shake my head. You know, it's like yeah. I mean, it it might not look cool, but you know, if you if somebody cuts in front of you, or if a squirrel cuts in front of you, and you go head over heels, you'll be wishing you had that helmet on. And since your life has been so different during this pandemic, I mean, you had so much independence um, before this threat of illness. You know, what, what motivates you to get up in the morning? How are you staying so positive? Well, it's, it just has built on, you know, from, from the support that I had. And I can still hear my dad's voice in the back of my head. Unfortunately, we lost dad in 2015, but he was, he was always there. You're going to do it. We can do this. You can do this. And um, it was sort of the drumbeat that sort of pushed me and, and everybody around me, as I said, my friends and my support group and my family, um, to just not get lost in the cracks. I mean, you really only get one bite at the apple and I wasn't going to, you know, just sort of cower in the corner. I tell people if, if hiding away and, and crying, you know, in the closet would bring me back and make me better than, you know, clear me out of spot, I'm, I'll be coming in. But it doesn't. And it won't. And you can either pick up the pieces and move on. I mean, sure, it's not ideal. And and I don't love every minute of all the struggles that I have that, that start the minute my feet hit the floor every morning. But you got to try and get past it. You know, you re- listen, I have my moments where, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not a happy camper, but you, you, you can't let that, you know, take over your whole day or else you'll, you won't get anything done. Those are the kinds of things I need to write on my wall. Yeah, for sure. yeah. Just keep it in the back of your mind. As I say, I don't mean to be the hundred-year-old in your ear, but um, when you hear people, I hear people complain about, "Oh my, my boss is a pain in the neck, or my car won't run," and I'm thinking, "Yeah, cry me a river. I, I can't reach my nose to scratch my nose." You know, little things like that. It's like, oh my gosh, it's uh, you know, two things that people don't really talk about. You know, with spinal cord injuries, you know, all the muscles below your level of injury are affected. 
two of the big ones are your bowel and your bladder. So it's, those are things that we have to deal with that people don't have to. You know, that, those are issues that, you know, I think I know where every bathroom is in the tri-state area. So that if I have to get there, I, I can make a clean break for it. But it's not easy living with that over your head. And there's times where you have accidents and, you know, that nobody wants to talk about that. But, you know, most people don't have to think about that. And, and we do. And, and it makes it tougher. I think this is what's so unique about this pandemic is that the impact has been so universal. Everybody is affected in some way, even if it's, you know, and, and some people maybe just haven't had to deal with inconvenience like that in a long time. No doubt. Yeah. And, and, you know, I hear people talk about, Oh, I'm sick of being home and this is killing me. And, and I talk to my fellow spinal cord injured people and they're thinking, Hey, welcome to our world. You know, this is what we do. We're stuck home because maybe we can't get a ride. You know, some people can't drive and they have to rely on, you know, public transit. And oftentimes those people are unreliable and they can't pick you up. You live in an apartment and you're six floors up and you can't get your wheelchair. So they're like, hey, you know, now you're living what we're living here. So, you know, welcome, welcome to the machine type of a thing. Thanks for joining us, John. Please tell our listeners, how can they find the podcast? Thank you for having me, Liz. And if anybody wants to, to listen to the, to the podcast, you can find it at uh, my website is www.quadcast.org, O-R-G. Um, and as I said, I'm, I'm trying to build my audience two ears at a time. So uh, if you're out there and you're looking for stories that, uh, you know, I like to say it's for and about folks like me who have had a spinal cord injury, but it's really for anyone who just wants to be inspired because it's stories about people who have had, you know, some really bad luck uh, that don't take it sitting down, pun intended. You know, many of them are in wheelchairs. And they, they forge on with their lives and they've created careers and, and stories about, um, you know, who they are. And uh, I've had some really influential guests that were on. And you can find it there. I'm also on, um, you can find it on Apple Podcasts and Google and uh, Overcast and Podchaser, SoundCloud, um, Stitcher. And um, there's one other one, Spotify. I think I'm on all of those. So as I said, I'm trying to, to build my audience. And if there's anybody out there that wants to listen, uh, that would be great. I'm also trying to, uh, to break into the world of voiceovers. So I'm putting in, trying to put a demo reel together. So if there's any prior faithful out there that are looking for these velvety tones, then that would be great. Um, you, could, uh, you could find me on my website. But I really appreciate you, know, you reaching out, Liz, uh, for this opportunity. and. Um, Anything that I could ever do to give back to my alma mater, uh, I'm always here. Love my friars. Before we go, we want to share a clip from the quadcast. Could you tell us a little more about your August 19th episode? Yeah, uh, I, I went through um, August 19th this past year, marked the 28th anniversary of my accident. And I figured what a better way to, to sort of go through that somber day. You know, it's funny, people in the spinal cord world they refer to that as their injurversary. And I thought, oh gosh, how morbid is that? So, um, you know, it really isn't just another day on the calendar. It brings it all back. It doesn't matter how far away you are from it. So I thought I would speak to my two buds who were really with me from day one. Uh, one of them would come up during the day and he would lay in the, in the bed next to me in the hospital. And it's just some funny stories about 
how the nurses would come in and want to take his vitals and his temperature. And I'd have to say, hey, I'm the guy over here. It's me over here in the corner. And then uh, when, uh, when nighttime would roll around, my buddy who worked as a lawyer in, uh, in the city, he would come out. He would bring dinner and he would stay with me and the family for, for hours just to keep my mind together, you know, to make sure that this wasn't going to get the best of me. And so um, I had those two on and we went through, we rehashed really funny stories about um, just over the years, how, how, how far we've come and, um, and how far we hope to go. So I think it'd be a great lesson. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll, uh, you'll, you'll be inspired, I think, if you wanted to listen to, uh, to one of the podcasts. And without further ado, here's the clip from the happy anniversary episode. This week's quote, having the fact that I'm having two of my best friends on, comes from a very, very special philosopher, a very smart one, and that is Winnie the Pooh, okay? And here's his quote. If, if you live to be 100, I hope I live to be 100 minus one day, so I never have to live a day without you. Isn't that cute, guys? That's a great one. That's outstanding. So let me welcome Very in good, two of my favorite people in the entire world, Mr. Robert Galatelli and Mr. Jamie Padgett. Hello, fellas, and welcome to the show. Hi, there, John. Excellent. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's my pleasure. And here we are, 28 years to the day that yours truly went uh, surfing down his basement steps that, uh, uh, that was not something that I wanted to do, nor that I even realized was happening. But there we were. And I find myself in Overlook Hospital with my world turned upside down, and I wasn't sure, you know, what was going to be going on. And then, lo and behold, to have friends like yourself not only show up that first day, but to show up that second day, and the third day, and the fourth day, and here we are 28 years later, you guys are like gum on the bottom of my shoe, I can't get rid of you. But uh, let's first just start off with, what are your remembrances? We'll start with you, Robert. When did you sort of first hear about the accident I had, that I had and what was going through your mind at the time? I actually heard about it from my mom, John. I was living in uh, her house on Essex Street in Melbourne, and she gave me a call and asked me if I had heard about what had happened to you. And obviously, I had not heard a thing, so I was in complete and utter shock and had um, no idea, John, um, what it all entailed until you know coming up to see you at Overlook Hospital. I had no clue until yeah. I walked into that room. Mm. And what did you find when you walked in there? That a broken, broken person, huh? I, I couldn't believe when I walked in there what I saw, John. I felt absolutely awful and had no, <clears throat> no clue what you were facing that day and in the days thereafter. I had no idea yeah. until I actually got to see you in person mm. and sit there with you and talk with you. No doubt. And what we learned was I didn't know either. And it was it was a whole new world. I, I told my friends at Kessler today, I was up there for therapy and I said, hey, everybody, it's my birthday today. And they're like, what are you talking about? Um, uh, and I said, you know, this is my injurversary. That's a word I learned from some fellow patients up there, the anniversary of their injury. They call it the injurversary. So I said, yeah, I'm actually 28 years old today because, you know, I was 24 when it all happened. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was a whole new world that started. So um, right out of the gates. How about you, Jamie? Where, where did you hear about all of this? And what was sort of rolling around in your brain when you heard about it? 
Yeah, John, I actually heard from uh, our, our good friend, Jimmy White. I, I think uh, your father had actually called the, the White family. And then Jim was, was sure to, to, to give myself a call and, and uh, you know, our, our mutual friend, Dennis Milton, a call. And then we, we came over to the hospital together um, to to just be utterly shocked and surprised at what we saw. And, I mean, you, you must have seen the look on all of our faces, which was just, just un- unbelievable surprise and and upsetness and just open mouth and and it's um it's something that i i I certainly will will never forget my whole life Um, it was it was shocking really well what was what was soon to become uh a ritual was that uh and and to my benefit was that robert would come by in the morning i think after he would finish up with work i think you were working landscaping at the time robert and you would uh you would come up and you would be my day guy, um, and you would physically get in the bed. It was nice. They never put another patient in the bed in the room with me. Remember that? Um, yes. So I had the whole place to myself. You would get in the bed, and you remember sometimes what would happen with the nurses? <laughs> yes, I do. Well, tell them about it. quite clearly. They would, uh, they would actually come in and, and try and take my temperature <laughs> to, see, to see, get my vitals. <laughs> they did. Uh, they yep. thought that you were actually the patient, so I had to like whistle. <laughs> no, over here, I'm the one with the with the broken neck. Over here, you might want to talk to me. So, uh, so that was funny. Yeah, I remember that. So you would come in, and and the two of us, you know, I I think basically what you guys were just trying to do is to put my mind at ease because it was like. Um, you know, my world had just been turned upside down and I really didn't know which way was up, but, but the fact that you guys were both there and, and, you know, didn't let me fall through the cracks is what made, you know, being in the hospital that much easier. I remember we spent hours watching Magnum PI reruns. Uh, that was something that sort of took my mind off of everything. And then when your time was up and you had to head home for dinner, uh, then came my night guy and Jamie would come in. Jamie, do you remember those days? I absolutely do, John. I, I used to come in also during during my lunch hour, but I think that was more more so at Kessler. Um, but yeah, the, those early over with days, we, you know, I, I just I, I knew it was going to be a long process for your your body to heal. But I, and I knew, you know, not being a doctor, I, I I had no idea how long. But like your father always used to say, is we have time. Yeah. So. I figured I, I, I couldn't help with your body, but maybe I could help with your mind. Yeah. And what you said is exactly correct, because anybody who knows you, and Robert will definitely agree, you have one of the best sense of the humor of, of any person I know, and you love to laugh, and you love to make people laugh. So my thinking was that if I could somehow just put your mind at ease and, and not have you think about your physical situation, and we could laugh like the old times or talk about high school, then I, I at least serve the purpose in, in, in trying to help your mind. So we used to watch the cheesy TV, the Jenny Jones show. And, yeah. and the, the, I just remember the, the cheese TV, the Jerry Springer show. And yes. we just used to laugh yep. and laugh and laugh. So 
Absolutely. That's what I, I recollect. Yeah. And well, let me tell you, it worked because, you know, my mind could have gone in a million different directions. And one thing that um, I've gotten to hear from, you know, some throughout doing this podcast, I've had some other folks that have been on that, that have had injuries. I know I had Eric Legrand on and Mikey Nichols and some other folks, and they said that it, if it were not for family and not only family, but friends, that they really could have never made it through all of this. And so, you know, that's why, you know, I have you guys on here uh, to commemorate this anniversary. It's never easy, but, you know, as a thank you to you for, for being able to do um, what, what you set out to do, because it absolutely worked. Subscribe to the Providence College podcast in all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please review and share with others. Thanks for listening and go Friars.